Hey, welcome to another edition of Talking Fußball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week, you know, we've left the misery of the past behind. We're looking forward to a bright future. With me this week, as so often, is Nick Wildhagen, who, after watching Schalke's breakthrough this weekend, is in a similarly positive mood. Hey. Hey there, Matt. Yeah, I mean, everything that ends can be a new beginning, and you shouldn't get stuck in, in the old times. Uh, I'm not an ignorant man who forgets quickly, but um, those things that have happened in the past are part of Schalke's life too, but um, now they can look look on the bright side and have a more positive outlook on the future. They didn't get that Bundesliga record of, you know, not having a win in as many games as Tasmania Berlin, and, and they should be happy about that. Yeah, yeah, they uh, they didn't quite find the map of Tassie on Saturday, and uh, that's probably for the best. I think that uh, if they had even, you know, gone level with Tasmania, uh, I, that would be a sort of a stain on the Schalke history books that would be very, very difficult for them to live down, especially at certain weeks of the year when they might have been facing some of their cross Rua Valley rivals in, in yellow and black that would have uh, probably would have stung it, it, it would have but um, I mean I'm glad to see Tasmania keep that record because um, A it, it meant a lot of great media coverage for them and uh, it's great to see like Captain Atzebecker being interviewed by Kicker and uh, you know a lot of people adding Tasmania to uh, you know pressing the like button on Facebook following them on Twitter they deserve that they, I mean we've I've been to to the ground uh, once before, and it's um, it's a great little place in Neukölln, Walter Zeda Sport. Many things in Neukölln are great. Yeah, I mean, it used to be that you know it used to be like a place that people said you shouldn't go to when you're in Berlin. You know, don't go to Neukölln, don't go to Marzahn. And uh, these days, Neukölln is sort of hip and up and coming, and it's what Kreuzberg used to be like 15 years ago. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's a great little little uh, sport park and. Uh, they play delightful football at, I think, fifth-tier level right now? Fifth, Yeah, fifth-tier level. Pretty good. All right, this week we are going to be looking, as uh, as promised, to uh, the, the, the great streak-breaking efforts of Schalke and some of the heroes from that game. We'll be looking at uh, a shock result from Friday night, as well as a team who may or may not be getting back into the title race. All right, here comes the first part of Talking Foosball. That is the part where we talk about the best of the match day just gone. This match day was match day 15. So we are inching ever closer to the end of the Hinrunde. That's, you know, the first half of the season, as they call it, Auf Deutsch. But, you know, I think the place where we really want to start, uh, we want to make you wait for the uh, the, the Schalke heroics, uh, to, to be honest. But I think really where we want to start is probably... Uh, a what happened on Friday night, which is, for my money, the best game in terms of excitement in the Bundesliga this weekend. It wasn't really surpassed uh, through the weekend in terms of quality and, and you know drama. Bayern München, they had gone down 1-0 in each of the eight games prior to this one. They decided to do things differently uh, this time out. They decided to take, to take a 2-0 lead uh, fairly early in the first half. That didn't help the results. Uh, Gladbach actually stormed back to tie this game up before halftime. They got the only goal of the second half. They took all three points in a 3-2 win. 
Yeah, Nick, this 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 game didn't really start like we've come to expect from Bayern this season. But to be honest, many of the same weaknesses that, that many of us have diagnosed were still there, right? Yeah, I mean, when you see like this... That simple defensive mistake that uh, Niklas Zula made in, in build-up play that led to the 3-2 goal, the decisive goal in, in, in the second half. And you must wonder um, how on earth uh, can Bayern be that sloppy during their build-up play and allow Borussia Mönchengladbach to get that easily to the ball when they're not even pressing with that many men. I mean, Niklas Zula wasn't pressured at all. He just placed a terrible, terrible pass. I mean, he could have could have done just about anything with the ball and he did the one wrong thing that he wasn't supposed to do. It was kind of reminiscent of that goal that Bayern scored after Jonathan Tarr the other week uh, misplaced a similar pass without being pressured at all by then, at that point, Bayern's players. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it just happened to be in second half injury time when yeah, the game was in was. the balance. You know, <laughs> it was. No pressure. So, I mean, those those kind of things are strange to see from from a Bayern defense and a national team player uh, as, as Nick Masula. But the second goal that came as well, I mean, the ball that was played through as Bayern was pushing high up the field. I mean, that has been sort of a recurring theme as well this season where Bayern sort of push high up the pitch and they get found out when the opposition has pacey strikers or clever players who know how to move in between the lines and you know suddenly run through alone on goal or have a couple of players with them and can sort of play a decent counter-attack and in the end Bayern are now I think they've now conceded 24 goals which means that I think only the bottom five of the league have conceded more goals than them and that is despite topping the table, actually quite a shocking stat for them. Yeah, that is a really, really shocking stat. And, you know, thinking about the number of times that Bayern have given up, you know, three, four goals this season, it's it's getting to be, you know, a real head-scratcher, I have to say. You sort of made mention of the first two goals. I mean, the third goal, as you mentioned, was, was a basically a, a terrible, terrible mistake. <laughs> sort of started off the chain reaction. But those first two goals had something more of a systemic quality, I would have to say. They both came from a sort of, a team who knew how to take advantage of Bayern's high line, who was able to sort of free uh, a player. This time it was Jonas Hofmann in both cases. Free a player to get one-on-one with Manuel Neuer, which of course is not a really easy proposition. Many players have failed to score in that situation, but Jonas Hofmann did not. He, uh, He got two goals from those situations. But this is a problem that I feel is recurring enough that it might cause Bayern to have to rethink a few things. Do you think that um, Hansi Flick or you know the, the his squad is is willing to rethink that, or do you think they're going to you know succeed or fail with this sort of making the game compact, you know, doing that counter pressing almost entirely in the opposition half, and then just you know rolling the dice to see how that works out? I mean, it worked for them during the second half of last season, didn't it? And you have to ask, maybe it might also be a case of there being a lot of time. This, I mean. Physically speaking, the last few months have been quite draining on professionals after that COVID break. There's not been a break whatsoever for Bayern's players. And those 24 goals might not be a result of a system gone awry or a system being wrong. It might just be a case of fatigue and a a coach and his players who cannot do anything about that. I mean, they are trying to rotate the squad as much as they possibly can. 
But in the end, uh, what are you going to do with the matches coming this thick and fast? I mean, to give you an example, they do have um, a second round cup match uh, midweek, Bayern against Holstein Kiel. Then they have a Bundesliga match on the weekend. Then there's another Bundesliga match in the Englische Woche. You know, the next two weeks entails four matches for them. And legs get tired at, at that pace. And having... And, you know, having that pace for two or three or five weeks, yeah, sure, fine. But when it's been half a year, it might very well get too draining. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like, you know, Flick and the team's hand might be forced in some cases to to, to, to try something a little bit different in some of those games. I don't know if they're going to like it, but, you know... They, they may well have to do something. Um, let's, let's look at this from the Gladbach perspective for a moment. You know, obviously, when Bayern lose in, in this sort of fashion, a lot of alarm bells go off. But I do think that we need to give a lot of credit to, uh, to Gladbach in, in this game. They, they, you know, showed clearly a lot of, you know, sort of, um, you know, tenacity and, and, you know, concentration after going down 2-0 pretty early in this game to just, you know, pick off Bayern two times in, in, in the first half to sort of get back on level terms. And then, you know, withstand a fair bit of pressure going through that last, you know, uh, you know, half an hour or so of this game to, to secure this, this victory. I mean, Gladbach have a history with Bayern, of course, a long-term history as well as a more recent history. I mean, you know, I think they've won four of their last six home games against Bayern, which is a pretty impressive record in, in, in a league like the Bundesliga, which has been just a little bit dominated by Bayern over the last decade. Are there conclusions that we can draw from from the way that Bayern are, 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 are sort of stymied by Gladbach? It's sort of interesting to see how Gladbach players kept their self-belief and kept plugging away and just went for it despite being 2-0 down. Because in some cases that has seemingly been missing in other matches when they, you know, they took the lead and then they sort of gave up the lead and stop playing football entirely for some parts, bits and pieces of, of matches and ended up just drawing matches uh, left, right and center. Oh yeah, I mean, to- they scraped a win against Bielefeld last week and they, you know, right before the winter break, they lost to Hoffenheim who, you know, are pretty terrible at the moment. Exactly. So it's kind of interesting to see when the pressure is off. I mean, nobody's expecting them to be buying. Everybody expects them to lose, especially after the season they've been having so far. I mean, they're, they're not in the top four. They're not in the top six even. And still, they when they have self-belief and they just have the pressures off and they can go for it, look at them. It's, it's interesting to see. I mean, it's sort of... I mean, pointing to mentality is always an easy thing to do. And as Peter Bosch has pointed out on many occasions it's it's probably the wrong thing to do because you have uh, most squads consists of entirely professional players so that's not really the case but i mean pressure though pressure has a lot to do with how teams can perform and it turns out that maybe borussia uh, given that they have had that such a great start to the season overperformed in the champions league that they are starting to feel a bit of pressure and that has sort of started, you know, hindered them in some matches. But uh, against Bayern, not hindered at all. I mean, getting back from being 2-0 down against Bayern, that hasn't been done since 2011. Which is, uh, you know, it's it's been a long time, almost 10 years. And uh, 
Now, uh, as you said, uh, Gladbach have had a great record against Bayern. I mean, Stindl and uh, Hermann have now both won seven times against them, which makes them the most winning players in the Bundesliga <laughs> against against Bayern. Uh, and as you talked about the home record, I mean, historically speaking, that it's even better. I mean, they've won 22 of their matches against Bayern in the Bundesliga, which makes them the best, you know, the, the worst away trip for Bayern, historically speaking. Wow, wow. You know, we I came in all gangbusters at the top of this episode talking about not looking back and looking to the future. Let's look at Gladbach's future. They have an interesting set of fixtures coming up. They are away to Stuttgart, home to Werder and uh, Borussia Dortmund in the Borussen duel, and then finally away to Union to round out the month of January. You know, you mentioned yourself, they're in seventh place. They are still on the outside looking in when it comes to European uh, qualification. Obviously, lots of football still to be played, but you know, how do you rate their chances of getting themselves into at least uh, European places, if not in, up into the top four uh, after that run of four games? You know, um, we, we talked at the start of the season that the fourth place is probably going to be decided between Leverkusen and Gladbach. And I actually tend to think right now, I mean, I've, I've been changing my opinions like every couple of weeks or so, but it's sort of been a, such an unpredictable wild ride so far this season with pretty much all teams in the league. You know, I, I but I, I, I sort of <laughs> reverse my position back to that and think that given the quality that Lapa have at hand and uh, given that Bayer Leverkusen over the last two or three matches have started to show certain weaknesses, that we might be, that we might see those two sides battling out in the end for the fourth place as the difference in points isn't all that big at the moment and uh, additionally I do think that Union Berlin eventually are going to drop off the big question is only going to be what are Wolfsburg are going to do are they going to throw themselves into the mix or not yep yep I, I think you're quite right that that to me despite the fact that Gladbach are back in seventh I think that their quality and the sort of the highs that they can hit are just a lot higher than, than you know your your Wolfsburgs or your Unions or even the clubs just behind them, Freiburg, Frankfurt, etc. So I, I still think their chances are quite good. I mean that that game against uh, Dortmund is going to be very very tasty indeed. All right, let's actually push on from that game and start talking a little bit about uh, you know the the other half of the Borussen. They had a nice result from this week, and it was an interesting constellation because Bayern had, you know, dropped points. In fact, got beat on Friday night. You know, a lot of people in Leipzig were just rubbing their hands together heading into the Saturday night game, thinking that maybe they could take advantage of Bayern's slip-up. They could go top if they could uh, win that game. But the visitors said not so fast. Pretty cagey first half in in this game, followed by a lot of unbridled action in the second, not least from the guy we have had to praise time and time again this season. None other than Erling Braut Holland. Nick, are you ready to, to, to let rip on this guy? You know you want it. Yeah, I do. Um, absolutely marvelous return to form. Um, it's great to see him and uh, Sancho uh, linking up that terrifically well. I mean, for that 1-0 goal by Sancho, he actually provided the cross into the area, which was then flicked on by Michael Royce with a sort of like really delicate sort of uh, touch that, uh, sort of a back heel touch that allowed Sancho on a goal. And then he scored two goals, Holland. So he's pretty much been involved in, you know, 
all three goals. Uh, for one of them, he actually fought off four men um, in, in, in the build-up and absolutely terrific performance. I mean, he, he showed what a complete striker he is. Scott with a header, uh, which he doesn't do too often. I mean, that's probably one of the areas where he can improve despite, I mean, despite his, uh, despite his massive height, he doesn't score too many headers, which is uh, strange to think about. But uh, yeah, absolutely marvelous performance. And uh, as you could expect, the Norwegian media was delighted putting uh, all sort of things in papers on television and on radio about Erling Breitholland, which is great because it means an awful lot of Bundesliga coverage and uh, it means that the league is getting ever more popular here in Norway. Excellent. Yeah. You know, ever, ever since he just mystifyingly chose Dortmund over Manchester United, you know, who, who could have thunk it that, that the player would do that? Um, yeah, I, I really want to sing his praises too. I mean, as you mentioned, that second goal, he, he had a lot to do with, with creating that chance, despite the fact that I think it passed through the, the, the possession of two or three other players before coming back to his head. Uh, but that third goal, really, really amazing feat of of athleticism. I mean, that lunge that he made to retain uh, possession for Dortmund just to get onto the end of it was was shocking in and of itself. I mean, a lot of people mentioned the sort of, you know, go-go gadget quality of his stretchy leg. But th- the thing that really shocked me there is like when players lunge for a ball like that to to get on the end of it and keep possession for their team, it often throws them off their stride. They need to sort of you know reset their their ability to to, to run and and hold the ball. But he just kept going. Like it seemed to not face him at all to stretch out to keep that ball and then you know put it in on the turn. Like he is capable of some stuff on the pitch, which just seems to defy belief. Yeah, I mean, there was a great exchange between Holland and uh, Hertha's club account on Twitter uh, the other week after, you know, Dortmund had beaten Hertha by, by quite a big margin. I oh, think I remember. Four goals from... <laughs> From EBH. Holland, yeah, and um, you know, Holland tweeted about, "Yeah, I'm going to sleep now," which is pretty much, uh, <laughs> you know, as, as tweets go, it's pretty benign. But uh, Herter, the Herter Twitter account had some some fun with it and and went along writing that two machines sleep, which uh, I thought was absolutely brilliant, and uh, even got a laughing smiley face back from from Holland. Yeah, but I mean, his his abilities and his his you know the, the many qualities that he has it, it it means that the sky is pretty much the limit for this guy uh you know if he went to a bigger club two three years from now or one year from now you know you wouldn't necessarily see him join you know a, a sort of club that is in, in an outside position to win the champions league you would see him join barca real madrid paris saint-germain but not you know manchester united Yep, I see him. He's a, he's got Real Madrid player written all over him for me. Uh, you know, I, I would not be surprised to see him there. Massive improvement over Benzema. Oh come on, <laughs> I, I would argue. I, well, that that that's that's very difficult. I am a big big defender of that guy, uh, but <laughs> Holland is a massive improvement over almost every striker in the world at the moment. Let's talk a little bit about not just the, the performance of, of Holland, but, you know, this was a very good team performance from Dortmund, uh, also from, from certain individuals like Jaden Sanju, who's sort of getting back into form as, as we saw uh, flashes of last week. You know, 
they were they were playing away from home. They were facing a team who knew that they could go top with a win. They got big performances from their big players. I mean, losing Axel Witzel for the rest of the season, it appears that has happened. He you know tore his Achilles. It looks like has probably put a little bit of a shadow on this result. But I, I can't imagine a much more uh, encouraging result for for Dortmund fans who have had a pretty <laughs> rough ride this season, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I think we have to praise the new coach as well, uh, Terzic. Uh, you, you seem to have a clear-cut match plan. I think it was his plan to absorb pressure in the first half, uh, allow Leipzig to have a lot of possession and, uh, you know, keep keep a tight ship and defence lying relatively low and then switching gears in the second half. And um, that worked terribly well. I mean, it probably wouldn't have worked terribly well if they had conceded anything in the first half. But hey, uh, Leipzig's XG in the first half was a whopping 0.1. Dortmund didn't create any shots in the first half, but once they switched gear in the second half, they just steamrolled over Leipzig. And yeah, absolutely terrific team performance. Um, if we take, if we look at the other side of the coin and look at Leipzig's performance, and from their point of view, they must be bitterly disappointed. Uh, I mean, Marcel Zabitzer, who, um, as one of our listeners stated on Twitter, massively underrated player. Yes, I agree with you, but from their point of view, as Marcel Zabitzer said, we want to win the championship. We want to go there. Well, if you want to win the championship, you have to win against Bayern, Gladbach, Bayer Leverkusen, Borussia Dortmund more often than they do because under Nagelsmann uh, they've had uh, 12 matches against those sides that I just mentioned and they only have one win from those 12 matches 8 draws and 3 defeats 1 win out of those 12 matches I'm sorry that's not that's not enough and that's basically so far what's been the difference between them and Bayern and all the other teams at the top there because as it turns out the other you know the other teams find it not too difficult to play against them. Yeah, I'm 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 going to say that's a pretty damning stat, Nick. Let's let's talk about Dortmund again for just a moment because you know I, I've kind of mentioned that that they've had a, a, a kind of bumpy ride this season and they have been, you know, after the first few games when they were sort of up there setting the pace along with uh, you know Bayern and Leipzig uh, and and to a lesser extent Leverkusen who sort of came on after. They've kind of fallen out of the title conversation. They're now back to being just five points off the top. You know, if they can sort of keep humming along as they did in the second half of this game. Um, What do you think of their chances of getting back into uh, the title picture? They've got Mainz at home, Leverkusen away, Gladbach away, and Augsburg at home. So really, you know, two tough, tough road games and two fairly easy games at home. Yeah, I mean, it's the tough road games that is going to tell us where they're they're at. I mean, three wins and a draw out of those four matches. Yes, you might get back into the title race. Anything less, it's not going to cut it. So, um, listen, I mean, this performance was great against Leipzig, but... um, Consistency is what is required, and um, if Borussia Dortmund somehow managed to pick that trait up uh, under Terzic, they can definitely get into the title race. They have the quality to do that, but in the end, we'll have to wait and see. All right. All right, let's go across the Riviera 
to uh, the the royal blue half of things, let's talk about probably the most momentous result, if not the um, the, the most the, the sort of closest, most exciting game of the weekend. Christian Gross is getting his one million dollars. <laughs> one million dollars, yes, Christian Gross. He he he, sort of, he really cuts a very inert figure on the sideline, doesn't he? Anyway, uh, we, you know, we commented last week on all the streaks that were staying intact. This was the week of broken ones, um, you know, not just Bayern falling behind in, in game after game and then, you know, scoring a couple to start. But Schalke, Schalke 2, Schalke Nick, Schalke won a game. They won a game after nearly a year. Uh, and, and they did it in absolutely the most unlikely fashion, flipping the moniker of Nulfia into Fiano. Uh, you know, it was a 4-0 win. Absolute masterclass from Amin Arit and uh, the out-of-nowhere wonder boy, Matthew Hoppy. Let, let's talk about Hoppy first. This guy was drafted into the first team during an injury crisis after having scored a grand total of one goal for the reserve, so he wasn't even really in good form there. He had made four appearances, none over 90 minutes for the big boys before Saturday. He looked Pretty shaky in those, to be honest. He was a little better in the game against Hertha, but nonetheless. So what he did against Hoffenheim was, you know, <laughs> a shocker. A delightful shocker, I have to say, as as an American. But, Nick, this was not just a hat trick from Hoppy. This was a display of finishing quality that I think a lot of Schalke fans are going to just absolutely love him for, for, for many years to come. Yeah, I mean, the finishes he had for, for those three goals were insanely good. I mean, the, the first one was such a delicate lob over Oliver Bauman, and it, it looked so cool. You you sort of... That is usually what strikers who play on teams far high, high up the table do. It's, you know, I mean, you expect a striker who plays for this team that hasn't won in 30 matches and who's 18th. You just try. You just expect him to go for a desperate shot, but no, no, Hoppy. He just kept his cool and placed it so perfectly over Barma. It was the sweetest goal of of the entire match day. Yeah, this and guy. He wasn't even a striker when Schalke got hold of him. I think he came over thinking he was going to play central midfield. You know, yeah, I think that's what he played back in uh, Arizona or whatever. It's insane. Uh, uh, yeah, he's from California, isn't he? So, the, but the California dreaming it actually continued for for Schalke in in. The second half as well. I mean, the the two shipped finishes for for the second and third, absolutely out of this world. Ah, uh, you know, nobody has expected this. I mean, we talked about him getting minutes under Manuel Baum and saying, "Well, f- nice to see him there on an injury crisis, but don't expect too much from him." Yeah, absolutely, absolutely shocking. But I mean, it's sort of that sort of freak event that was needed to get Schalke out, out of there out of that miserable spiral of not winning and let's hope for them it's a positive thing and that they sort of can take some uh, some heart and hope from actually being able to win again and go forward and uh, you know like they did in this match we've talked about this before they're you know in so so many matches they actually put on a decent display for 20 30 maybe 35 minutes and then just completely fell apart but here, they didn't get the goal the first 20, 25 minutes, but they just keep pl- plugging on. And in the end, they got that goal shortly before halftime. Yep. Yep. You know, it, it's hard to top uh, a hat trick from never scored a professional goal before Matthew Hoppy in terms of surprise. But, you know, 
also pretty surprising was Amin Harit's uh, uh, performance here, who, you know, he has not had a very easy time at Schalke over the last year, year and a half. And, and truthfully, even his entire tenure at Schalke has been pretty checkered in terms of being in and out of the squad, being suspended a number of times, looking spectacular at times and, and totally going missing at others. But man, he assisted on all three of Hoppy's goals. He scored his own goal on 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 top of that to, to close things out. Um, so great for him. However, you know, his, his celebration after that fourth goal, the way he, he sort of ran to the corner flag, covered his ears, and kind of ignored the rest of his team who were trying to celebrate with him, show that maybe all the criticism that he's taken in the last year, year and a half, are maybe not, it's not just all washing off with one result. Yeah, I mean, he is such a marvelous footballer, but uh, as it turns out, the the... the thing that stands in the way of Amin Arid being a successful guy is Amin Arid himself. I mean, with that sort of attitude and with, you know, all, all the stuff that has happened in the past, you know, deadly accidents in Morocco, being caught in the shisha bar when, you know, the country has gone into lockdown due to COVID, and all these things just keep coming week in and week out. It's so, you know, at, at some point... Schalke and any other club are going to lose their patience with him. Yeah, yeah. I, I it, It's weird. I feel like um, through all this time when Schalke has, has looked uh, pretty, pretty impotent in attack, let's be honest, over the last year of, of, of misery, you always thought that <laughs> how is it not working when you have as creative and sort of, uh, at least when he hits the heights that he can hit, when you have a player like Amin Arit. But as you say, this is a guy who doesn't really seem to get on an even keel very easily. So I, I really hope the best for him. I, I He's a fun, fun player to watch when he's at his best. Uh, and, you know, some of those, those sort of through balls that he was, you know, putting through uh, for Hoppy, um, you know, if they can keep that thing up, then uh, they're going to climb the table. Yeah, I mean, uh, I saw I saw Tismani Berlin after that third goal by Hoppy. They actually posted a picture on Facebook, uh, you know, which showed that they were celebrating with a bit of hoppiness themselves. As, as the picture just showed a, a glass of beer. And if Hoppy and and Amina Reed can keep the sort of connection up for for the rest of the season, yeah, sure. I think the many Schalke fans are going to celebrate the you know the points they're going to take with a lot of Hoppy delight from probably Feltins, which is never a good idea in my book. But hey, I'm not a Schalke fan. I think Feltins is actually just fine. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to go for a German lager, which is, yeah. to tell the truth, not my favorite style, but yeah, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a sort of Flensburger type of fella uh, or Yeber, like a little bit more bitterness from my, from my, from my Pilsner. But um, yeah. yeah, let's just say, um, don't go for German lagers. Yeah, that's Norddeutsche. Yeah, that's, that's not my style. I think my favorite has got to be probably Lisha. Lisha is is well worth worth a drink. I, I like the the Mitteldeutsche uh, beer band. Let's just say, okay, quickly about Hoffenheim. I think that they you know they they really took it on the chin and took it on the chin uh, 
again and again. But they were probably pretty unlucky in this game. You know, they didn't obviously do enough to win or maybe even draw this game necessarily, but this was not a lose 4-0 performance. I mean, they, they, they were okay in this game. Yeah, I mean, they even created more cha- uh, more shots uh, than, than Schalke, but the problem with those shots were that they were, you know, most of them were just half chances or not even that. So, uh, I mean, the XG clearly reflects that Schalke got the better of the match, but yeah, it wasn't wasn't sort of 4-0 uh, materials in, in terms of, of the quality of chances Schalke produced. It just turned out that Hoppy and Amina Reid were just so brutally lethal that they got those four goals anyway. All right, here comes part two of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about the rest of the match day just gone, match day 15 in this case. You know, under other circumstances, we probably would have uh, pushed uh, the winners of this game and, and their their match into part one. But, you know, when Shaka wins a game after almost a year, everything goes haywire. I'm, of course, talking about uh, SC Freiburg. They defeated Cologne 5-0, and 5 is really the operative number here. This is their fifth win in a row. This is the first time that SC Freiburg have ever won five games in a row in the Bundesliga. So Christian Streich and the boys are, you know, probably, you know, pretty pretty giddy uh, as, as much as Christian Streich can ever be giddy. No shade. No shade. He's just not, not a, he's a realist. He's not a, he's not a giddy type of fellow. At the same time, I really feel like watching this team, that they are beginning to believe in themselves as an actual top team. Their their finishing is incredibly emphatic. I mean, the, the chances that they convert are not always easy chances, but they're just, you know, banging them in really authoritatively. Their passing is really crisp. They've, they've got great energy. They, they outran Cologne by five kilometers in this game. Nick, are you ready to sign up for a European push from from Freiburg? Not, not, not quite yet. I mean, before those five matches, they they looked like they were, as we talked earlier for a couple, a couple of weeks ago, they looked like they could be uh, in relegation territory for the entire season. But now these five matches have come come around and um, it's changed everything. <laughs> what a difference fifteen points makes! Yeah, um, <laughs> they do, but. Um, I think in, in, in the longer run and in terms of the, the depth and the quality of the squad, I'm sorry to say, Adrian Sertel and all the other Freiburg fans listening, um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite convinced as of now that there's going to be a European push. I think teams like Frankfurt are you know, more likely to go for, for that. But having said that, this team, it has so little resources and they're outperforming themselves year in and year out. What a fantastic story. It's really the greatest success story in the Bundesliga, never mind Bayern München. And I say that with all due respect to Bayern München. On the other side of things, Cologne, losing 5-0 in any situation is is always a, a bad sign. But coming on the back of, of some other uh, pretty negative results, uh, especially their, their ace in the hole this season had been their away form. I think they if I'm not mistaken, they'd given up four goals away from home all season and, you know, now gave five up in, in a single game. They're in the relegation playoff spot at the moment and the trend is is definitely down at the moment. Is this weekend's home game against Hertha, uh, another team who's <laughs> in some trouble, uh, this might be a last chance saloon situation for Marcus Gisdol, yeah? 
It might be for Blue Liberty as well. I mean, somebody's going. <laughs> you better believe somebody it. Somebody said it's going to be on the shopping block uh, next weekend, and it's going to be one of those guys. Um, maybe even both of its draw. Yeah, I mean, Cole lacked any sort of desire, any sort of quality, any sort of willingness to do something forward, any sort of team spirit, any sort of coherent defensive structure. It was one of the most shocking displays. I've seen so far this season and if you add the defensive errors that led to those two first goals oh my god it's just I mean Timo Horn kicking the ball over his head when he tries to clear and setting up a Freiburg striker Ötchkan losing the ball in build-up play yeah I mean there's those sort of Errors you don't necessarily don't necessarily see at matches where boys are between eight and nine years, nine years old play. Uh, you don't see them at those matches, and to see professionals do that and in Bundesliga matches, absolutely shocking. All right, um, we'll move now to talk about a couple of uh, draws from the weekend, and you know, simply because we must, perhaps, uh, or at least from the perspective of, of you know entertainment. One of these actually involved your boys, Nick. I, I know Leverkusen came on the the back of, of two losses into this game, but I was pretty surprised to see Werder take a point in this game that ended 1-1. How, how did they do it? Simple. Uh, Five-man backline, three in midfield, two strikers waiting for counterattacks, and they just made life hell for those wingers of, of Leverkusen and uh, forced them in the end just to put crosses in into the area, hoping that Alario, who was subbed on, and Schick would, you know, do something with those crosses. And uh, tactically speaking, having Toprak and Velkovic in that, uh, you know, in, in the box, it means that Werder could deal with that pressure that was exuded by Leverkusen quite, quite well. What Werder necessarily didn't do well was counter-attack. They had many chances to go on the counter-attack, didn't take any of them. They actually had, I think, 500 fewer passes than Leverkusen and misplaced 18 more passes than them. Oh, my. Which is <laughs> oh my. telling in terms of what, what sort of passing game Voda was having that day. It was absolutely dreadful. But got to give it to Florian Kohfeldt. He's improved the team in terms of set pieces. Irma Toprak getting a goal from set piece. That was pretty much the only chance they had in the second half. In the first half, towards the end of the first half, they had a chance from for Joss Sargent from another set piece. So yeah, that's that's how Werder got the points, uh, or was setting themselves up to get three points before Leverkusen scored what the Germans would call an absolute cuck tour. Uh, you know, billiards tour that happened after the ball got into the area. Um, one of the strikers managed to chest it down, or you know, rather take it with his stomach, um, and you know, shot were fired was fired by Schick, and then sort of, yeah, it sort of bounced back and forth and got. F- two or three or four deflections of Verdes defenders which caught out everybody else in the board and simply just rolled over the line which uh, you know as goals go not the previous one but um, hey gave a little because of the point bit livelier uh, the, the draw at the Alte Försterei um, which is a seesaw battle between Union Berlin and uh, VfL Wolfsburg 2-2 in the end. Uh, Wolfsburg jumped out to an early lead in this one, surrendered it to Union after goals on either side of halftime. Uh, but then the, the Wolves finally got back level in the 65th minute through the main man, uh, Wout Weichhorst. You know, 
pretty gutsy result from uh, Wolfsburg in that they were a man down uh, for pretty much the entire second half in this one. But, you know, nonetheless, this <laughs> a draw in this one. These two teams who were sort of, you know, in what, fifth and sixth place, sort of trying to make a little bit of a move. This was not the result that they were looking for, I would say. No, I think, I mean, I think both, both teams were looking for a win here. Uh, Union are especially going to be disappointed given that they had the man advantage. And given that Wolfsburg actually had to take off one of their central defenders, Proganoric, uh, who um, actually still suffers from the long-term effects of his COVID infection that he had in January. Yeah. Um, Oliver Glasen said uh, that, you know, you saw that he was looking like he was, you know, deep down into extra time. Uh, after 15 minutes, and uh, it's 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 breathing that causes him trouble, and it, it just shows what the long-term effects of COVID infection can be. I mean, he's the the Wolfsburg medical staff have obviously cleared him to play, but um, still he he cannot deal with profession professional football at this level if he's out of juice and out of air after 15 minutes. Absolutely terrible, and you know Oliver Glasmer actually quite a kind of surprised me when he said, "You know, we don't know what the long term effects of COVID are, and we cannot tell." I mean, honestly, uh, shouldn't he have been checked up? I think he should just read a bit more. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But um, returning to the game, yeah, Wolfsburg are probably going to be the happier side given that they were with the man down and that they got a, a penalty, a handball, another handball penalty. Um, we are seeing so many of them these days. And yeah, Fout Vekost, icy cold, but hey, um it was it was a very strange match. I mean Renato Steffen scoring from a corner kick. Who yeah. th- what is he? I was he something like uh five seven, five eight. He's he's uh he's not a big guy, but you know, got him got his head on that ball. <laughs> Kopfball ungeheuer. All right, we had uh, a pretty surprising result also uh, in Mainz where uh, Eintracht Frankfurt were 2-0 winners. This is uh, a place that Eintracht have, let's say, tended to struggle over the years, but this did not look necessarily like a huge struggle. I mean, Mainz, to be fair, Mainz were in this game, as as Mainz are often in the game, but they don't get results, do they? No, I mean, they gave away two unnecessary penalties and the silver converted them both. That was that. I mean, short and sweet. Let's let's keep it at that. It was an even match, which in the end was won by Eintracht Frankfurt because they were given two two penalties and they converted them both through Silva, who's uh, an excellent penalty get- taker. All right. Any thoughts? I think we had a listener question from none other than Brian Sanders, uh, he of the uh, Hey Eintracht uh, Frankfurt podcast. Yeah, Brian wants just us to, to, to take a quick look at Eintracht's uh, January fixtures. We, we kind of touched on this last week, but maybe we can talk about the Pokal match. You know, the Schalke, Freiburg, Bielefeld, Hertha are, are, are their, their program in the league, which, let's face it, looks pretty soft. But going to Leverkusen for a midweek game in the DFB Pokal, what do you make of their chances there? And what do you make of, of you know, Obviously, they have a history in the cup. They've been very successful in it over the last few years. But, you know, maybe concentrating on the league might be not such a bad thing for them. Yeah, it might not necessarily be a bad thing for them. But, um, I mean, Peter Bosch only made two substitutions during that match against Werder because simply he didn't have a big enough bench or not enough options on the bench because Bayer by squad right now is quite thin as well. So it's, uh, I think both managers are probably going to look to, you know, giving a few players a run out that 
you don't necessarily would have expected in the starting lineup if it was a Bundesliga match that was, uh, you know, counting for three points. But hey, I think uh, Eintracht Frankfurt, given that they are outside of the European places and not looking for that Champions League finish, are probably going to prioritize this match slightly, slightly more than you would expect Bayer to do, actually. So from, from that perspective, uh, you might say it's going to be an exciting match. And, you know, given that Eintracht were only the second team to beat Bayer Leverkusen, might also be interesting to think about what has Peter Bosch learned from that match and how he's going to attack Frankfurt differently because, as he stated after the match, it was the worst match of the season so far by his, by his players. And, um, I mean, the performance against Bremen wasn't much approved. Uh, and by the way, I've, I've, I forgot to mention that um, if you if you want to listen to a very deep going anal- analysis of that buyer against Verda match, uh, you can listen to me on the Neverkusen podcast where we talk about it for over fifty minutes. If you are a fan of either side or simply a sadist <laughs> or masochist, rather. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, depends on which which side of things you're on, I guess. Okay. Yeah, well, let, let's let's turn now to our uh, newly recurring uh, feature where we, you know, take a game that probably didn't have the most viewers over the weekend, and we, you know, share with you uh, some of the some of the the hidden delights of the game. It's rescued from oblivion with Reese Tigwell. This week we're going to be looking at Armenia Bielefeld and Hertha BSC. Hello again, Reese. It's really nice to have you back on Talking Foosball for the Rescued from Oblivion feature. I have to admit, though, this felt like a game that maybe just just could have stayed in oblivion. What what did you think? Yeah, hi, Matt. Um, I'm all good. Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, the, the game was won by, I think we can agree, a fantastic strike from Reinhard Diabo, um, which was his, also his first ever goal in the Bundesliga. It was a long throw hurled in by Cedric Bruner and Yarbo brilliantly turned his man and, and funded it into the roof of the net with the outside of his left foot. There was controversy surrounding that goal and whether Yarbo had fouled his opponent in the build-up. But I think you got to take nothing away from Yarbo. That, that was a brilliant finish, controversy aside. And also on top of that, I think after a, a first half that wasn't the most entertaining game, that goal definitely obviously livened the game up. I think Bielefeld were by far the better side in the second half. And just a few minutes after that goal, they almost doubled their lead when uh, Ritsu Doan's long-range effort struck the post. And then just a few minutes from time, Hertha thought they had equalised, but Christoph Piontek's goal was ruled out for controlling the ball of his hand in the build-up. And nonetheless, I mean, Armenia held on it was only their fourth win in the league this season, and beating Hertha is is no doubt their biggest scalp yet. And of course, in doing so, they move out of the relegation playoffs into fifteenth, and it's given them some breathing space above, uh, above the teams below them. Yeah, yeah, I, this was crazy. I mean, I feel like um, as you as you brought up earlier, the first half was pretty. Uh, Pretty tough, chewy meat. It was not exactly a <laughs> succulent football viewing. Um, both basically, both teams were bad in the first half. Hertha continued to be bad in the second. Bielefeld got better. Um, you know, when you look at it in those terms, it doesn't sound so good. Um, you know, it, basically one one team played one half of good football. Is is that kind of performance going to be enough um, to to get? 
Bielefeld somewhere, or at least get them past the likes of, you know, Schalke, Mainz, Cologne. They're, you know, fellow relegation candidates. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think I think the toughest part of their season is, is yet to come. I mean, particularly with Schalke yesterday. I mean, I don't think anybody really expected them to win that game. So they've certainly proved that they they won't go down without a fight. I also expect, you know, Köln and Mainz to continue battling the way. I think Armenia have definitely got the capability to survive. And I think it'll be interesting to see how they build on this result. But I think a lot's going to depend on how they fare against the teams around them. You know, they've already beaten Schalke. But rather than the results they pick up elsewhere along the way, I think it's, a lot's going to come down to those head-to-head with, you know, Köln, Mainz, Schalke in, in the, the return fixture. Yeah, I mean, well, getting goals in unexpected places, like uh, from from uh, Reinhold Yabo, who's a real journeyman player. He's 28. This is, uh, you know, as you said, his first top flight goal. A guy who didn't get a goal uh, on Sunday, Fabian Klose, still had a pretty good game, could have earned a penalty if uh, the referee or, or the Cologne uh, video assistant group had seen things another way, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean... There's always it's just another VAR instant that's going to be debated whether whether or not it was a penalty or not. I think one of the things that I think from that is that if the referee is going over to his pitch side monitor to have a look um, over and over again, then it can't be a clear and obvious error. Then I'm not sure why why it was overturned. Um, but I think I think aside from that, at this point, we can't really ever talk about Armenia without talking about Mr. Bielefeld himself. He's he's made over 300 appearances for the club. This being his first season playing in the Bundesliga. And he's, he's, he's found it tough going this season, but I think that was to be expected. And I think, although he's only scored two goals this season compared to the 21 that he got in the last campaign, I think that playing up front isn't all just about scoring goals. And I think that Yusuf Paulsen of Leipzig is obviously a fantastic example of that. You know, both Close and Paulsen worked tirelessly, particularly off the ball. I think today, I'm not sure you'd agree that he, he led by example again with his energy levels and his warhorse-like mentality. And, and for his age, I think that really is com- commendable. Oh, yeah. He was he was causing problems in the penalty area. He was coming back to get the ball and showing a lot of, you know, <laughs> grit and muscle. He is a big guy, which... Let's let's be honest here. Kind of didn't really help him when it came to you know the the, the VAR decision, seeing this big guy fall over like a sack of potatoes uh, because of a little trip. But anyway, um, before we go, and I don't want to turn this into a Hertha segment because we do enough Hertha segments on this show, considering my loyalties. <laughs> um, I mentioned the the fellow relegation candidates earlier. You know, I think the four that I mentioned, Bielefeld included, have been people on people's mind all season. Um, are Hertha Getting into dangerous territory is Bruno Labbadia a man on a hot seat? Do you reckon? <laughs> I think the main problem, as as we've discussed before, is that inconsistency really has been the story of her to season so far. So they they come into this game off the back of that convincing win at Schalke last time out, but but then today they didn't really show up, and we've seen that time and time again. And for me, I think the next the next month's going to be the the defining month. In not only her to the season, but Labadia's future, because their next run of games, they've got Köln, they've got Hoffenheim, and they've got Werder, and they're all, these games are against t- uh, sides that are out of form. 
and below them in the table. And I think suddenly you get to a situation where if, if Labadee was to lose a couple of the next few matches, I, re- I really think it could be out the door. But then there's always the flip side. And at the same time, if they win those games, which which they easily could, if we see the, the other side of her so that we have seen this season, then suddenly we're in a position where they're back in contention for a, for a European place. And I just think that is such is the crazy nature of the Bundesliga. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that there is blame to spread around. I mean, I'm I'm not necessarily convinced that Labadia is the ideal coach, but I think it's probably time to admit that a couple of the uh, marquee signings made over the last few windows are not uh, paying off in the big way that they had hoped to. I mean, if, if you... <laughs> If you are with me when I watch a Hertha game or if you, you know, see the group chat that I'm part of uh, about uh, <laughs> Hertha games, Dodi Lokubakio, let's just say he probably wasn't worth the money. Um, I, I would be looking to offload him. I would be looking to offload Piontek if you can get good money on these people. And, you know, Michel Preitz, who bought them, has got something to answer for. And, and the fact that he was so reluctant to pull the trigger on a lot of uh, transfers over, you know, a few million. If you, if you have somebody who you think is a real difference maker and not just a slight upgrade, you just got to go out and spend the money. So I, I, I hope, I hope um, <laughs> something happens in this window because this team, whenever Cunha's not there or not in form, is not good. Yeah. I mean, that, that's an interesting one as well, because you say, I mean, look at Bacchio and Piontek, they haven't lived up to, to the expectations that obviously you and, and fellow Hertha fans would have expected. But I think I was surprising because if you look at Luca Bacchio when he was at Fortuna and uh, Piontek when he was at uh, Genoa in Italy, I mean, they both had fantastic spells at their respective club. So it's strange, perhaps strange to see why this hasn't transpired at Hertha. Yeah. I mean... Whether they do develop into those players, it, it may be more of a question of this inconsistency. If there is a, is, is a string of performances and results put together, then perhaps we will start to see the best in these players. But I think one of the problems with Piontek is that if Herta are playing 4 3 3 and, and Cordoba is going to be the, the main choice up front, then he's either going to be playing second best or played out of position. So it's about trying to find that balance. And I'm not sure that, that Labadee has perhaps around that balance yeah 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 i mean we could talk for a long time about this if we wanted to uh talk about wide uh you know central attackers being played as wide attackers we could be talking about uh you know those two players you mentioned looking so much better elsewhere and you know if you have a year or a year and a half with some of these guys you should be able to figure out how to use them to their best but I want to leave it right there. I, I think I think we rescued this from oblivion. I think maybe maybe Bielefeld are going to rescue themselves from oblivion if, if <laughs> uh, enough teams <laughs> stay down in the muck. I, I look forward to rescuing the next game out of oblivion next week. Excellent. Reese. You're, you're just the man to do it. <laughs> Thanks for joining us again. Thanks, Matt. See you later. All right, stay tuned, uh, you know, for next week's edition of Rescued from Oblivion. We're going to have another tough piece of meat that we are going to braise into an absolutely um, delightful form for, for, for your, uh, you know, for your in- enjoyment. Nick, let's round out the show with the final game of, of the match day. It was actually the second to last game, uh, played anyway, and it, it kind of turned out the way I 
figure many people thought it would. It was uh, Augsburg's 4-1 home loss to VfB Stuttgart. I, I might have been overstating my case there because Augsburg did pick up that nice away win to Cologne uh, uh, heading into this game last week. But, you know, Stuttgart are, as, as the Germans say, eine andere Nummer. <laughs> and it really showed this week. <laughs> Another number. Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um Stuttgart, I think they are now actually topping the away table in the Bundesliga. They've had tremendous away form. And um, yeah, I mean, what you need to know about this match is both teams actually pressed high up the pitch. It was a very entertaining match to, to, to watch because both teams came out attacking. But in the end, Stuttgart actually had the more efficient and uh, a better attack. And uh, I mean, what... I think what's really worth watching is that second goal of Stuttgart, which was, uh, you know, set up by Sosa's quick thinking when he made that run down the left flank when, uh, you know, shortly after Stuttgart regained possession and found himself in acres and acres of space. And when he made that run down the left flank, he had just, you know, the the cool to um, pass the ball with precision into the middle and finding, you know, the, 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 the free striker in the box and you know, making it easy for him to score. Um, absolutely delightful goal. And in the second half, Augsburg actually came out, all, all you know, came out straight off the gates and, and got that 1-2 uh, goal. But, uh, yeah, in the end, Stuttgart's better quality in attack showed. And uh, absolutely, uh, you, you see that potential of that Stuttgart side is, uh, is, is great. It's really, really great. And um, hopefully, as uh, we don't have to talk about the off-pitch troubles too much more this season, because uh, this team is bloody fun to watch. Yep. Okay, that's all for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. Uh, really good to see you again, Nick. I, I love that strange little, like, 8-bit snowflake uh, background you have on your uh, your video chat. <laughs> yeah, it's... it's... <laughs> You know, uh, I'll I'll try to find something else for next week to delight you. And uh, yeah, great being back on. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's hope that we can talk about an as exciting match day next next weekend. Spectacular! You can follow Nick on Twitter, of course, at Norm Musings. You can listen to all of his latest Meisterwerke uh, on on Talking Foosball's uh, historic match day moments series uh, on our Patreon page that we have those coming every single match day of the season. Uh, you'd be surprised at how much history you can learn just from uh, signing up to be a patron and, and listening into those. You hope, you know, it, it's, it's not going to cost you a lot. Check it out. Uh, if you want to contact us, hit us up at talking foosball on Twitter. I'm at Mr. Matt Herman over there. Of course, do subscribe to the pod, wherever you get your pod, tell your friends, rate us, review us five stars, baby. Just some next to y'all. <laughs>